Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Matt Coletta, co-founder and managing partner of M&A Business Advisors, a full-service business brokerage and M&A advisory firm. Matt and his team have created one of the leading M&A firms specializing in the confidential sale of privately owned businesses and in a wide range of industries. His team is passionate about helping business owners create win-win transactions that address both their short-term as well as their long-term goals. Selling or buying a business can be a complex, time-consuming process, and too often business owners haven't even thought about their exit strategy until it's too late. This is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have Matt on our podcast and share some of his insights with you today. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Matt. All right. Well, Matt Coletta, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you being on here and looking forward to having a great discussion on the record, separate from the discussions we've had off the record about what you do. Super exciting stuff. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for asking me to do this. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this should be good. You, you, I think you have a ton of knowledge for our listeners and, you know, I really like to dive into that and learn, you know, the M&A side of things. I'm sure you have some interesting stories to tell, but if we can start off with just, you know, if you could just tell us a little bit about, about yourself and how you got to where we're at, what your experience is, you know, how you founded or co-founded M&A business advisors, that'd be a, a great place for us to start. I graduated from college and uh, went to work for an attorney friend of uh, our family. He was uh, a very successful attorney. He had not only was he practicing as as a uh, as an attorney, he was part owners in about a dozen businesses. And what was interesting is he built himself a little empire, and he wasn't keeping an eye on his businesses. The it, it's almost like the shoemakers uh, kids don't have shoes. And it was kind of the same scenario where even though he's an attorney, there was a lot of things lacking in the businesses that he owned. He had anywhere from 10 to 50% ownership in these businesses. So he hired me to come on board and help him organize these businesses. Uh, some of them were very successful. So I helped him create formations, uh, bylaws, the stock certificates and what have you, buy sell agreements. So it just basically helped him formalize these businesses and then worked with his partner that he owned these with to set things up with marketing and, and the financing, which is my background. So in that process, uh, we ended up selling one of the businesses and I just kind of got thrown into the deep end to learn what the process was. 
Um, and I ended up managing that process from beginning to end and really enjoyed it. Fast forward, uh, I was, um, I really didn't see myself working for him long-term. I, I realized after watching him have a couple of heart attacks, I decided I'm not interested in being an attorney. I got my uh, real estate license and, and, and started uh, dabbling in commercial real estate and then eventually business brokerage. I, I partnered up with a, an older gentleman who I was introduced to. He and I started a company called AmeriCorp. Uh, business investments. Uh, we had owned that for many years. At this time, I was uh, late 20s, uh, about 30, call it, and he was in his uh, late 60s. And so he had the gray hair and he was a great rainmaker, but he wasn't very good at at the paperwork and, and the marketing and the packaging. So it was a great uh, partnership. And then uh, he ended up uh, passing away and then I went to work for a large firm. I was asked to come on board as a managing partner of a, of a business brokerage firm that at that time had 12 offices. And I was asked to come on board to run Southern California, which I did for many years. So I, I tend to be someone that is always looking at uh, trying to be cutting edge, trying to be one step ahead of everyone. And unfortunately, the owner of that firm wasn't really open to change. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. uh, his middle name was status quo. And <laughs> that's so, how we always did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this was kind of the time when, you know, a lot of technology was starting to develop. People were really upping their, their uh, game on websites and in digital media and stuff. And he just didn't believe in it and he didn't want to put any money into it. So so that company, we had the owner and then two managing partners, and the, we had a we would have an annual uh, in-person meeting, and uh, we left the meeting, and my other managing partner just looked at me, and I said, "Don't even say it. I've already. I, I just. I. I already, I'm already writing the letter in my head to terminate my relationship with this because it was every year. It was. It just. You know. It would just be the same thing. So anyway, fast forward. The two of us decided to form and create M&A Business Advisors. We felt that there was a, a need in the marketplace for, for a firm that, that could represent business owners. So the typical model was either a franchise firm that was a business brokerage firm or M&A firm, or somebody that just worked you know, solo with maybe one or two people. And there wasn't really a, a firm approach and, uh, and that's what we wanted to create since our previous partner and owner was not willing to do that. We just went off, we went out and did it ourselves. So we uh, trademarked the name uh, M&A Business Advisors, a leader in business sales and acquisitions. Katrina and I started uh, putting our, our business model together. And within a short period of time, we had four or five of the top people in the industry at that other firm leave because they were equally frustrated and they joined on board and came on board. And then what we did is we made, so we, we have territories. We have seven offices. Uh, Katrina and I are the owners and, and co-founders. And then we have managing partners that manage um, the various offices. And we were able to bring on some really top, top people, uh, which is great. So fast forward, uh, we have been uh, working successfully 
We have a lot of years of experience with our partners. Katrina and I have been in the business long-term, 30 years. We have uh, Greg Carpenter. He's been in the business probably more than all of us, probably 35 years. Bill Garcia and uh, Eric Landis. So we have we have a lot of great partners with great experiences and background that we're able to tap into. And that's how we have been successful in um, in being able to represent our clients and, and, and get these uh, transactions closed. We're very happy here that we uh, did this and that it's working well. Yeah, that's that's something that you should be proud of. I mean, that's that's a huge success. I think it's kind of interesting when I hear your story and think back, what an opportunity you had straight out of college, that, that first one. Boy, that's, you know, <laughs> I know, especially, you know, I've got a couple of kids right now that are in college and thinking about what do I do when I get out and blah, blah, blah. And like that opportunity that you have is, is, is priceless, right? Yeah, um, sure was. Sure was. So I've always been a networker and, uh-huh. um, and I, you know, I always have been someone that, you know, maintained relationships and cultivated them. And, and that was a, a, a gentleman who, you know, I just stayed in touch with. You know, he saw something in me and, and wanted to try it out. And, and then it's about, you know, taking advantage of that opportunity that you're given. Right, right. So so tell me a little bit about M&A business brokers in terms of what what's you said you mentioned you have seven locations. What are, what are the cities that they're in? So it's M&A business advisors. And we are a so we are basically a hybrid of a business brokerage and lower middle market uh, M&A firm. Mm-hmm. So we specialize in representing quality businesses, cash flowing businesses in a wide range of industries. These are typically manufacturing companies, uh, wholesale distribution, service, software, IT, medical practices. So a wide range of industries. People will always ask, well, do you specialize in something? Well, we specialize in, in the process of transferring the ownership of a privately owned company from the seller to the buyer, which includes doing evaluation, uh, packaging the business, marketing, identifying you know who the uh, uh, the buyers would be for it, and then managing the entire process from beginning to end and transferring that ownership, including all the documents, uh, the leases, uh, the financing, and so forth. We these are these are always um, privately owned companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're typically businesses that will range anywhere from two million to thirty million in revenue, um, and we've done a little bit lower and a little bit higher than that. It's typically within that range. One of my partners is working on a on a fifty five million dollar transaction right now. Statistically, the majority of the businesses that exist are typically businesses that are generating between two and twenty million in revenue. Uh, these are typically businesses that are you know owned by private individuals. And they're good at what they do, but um, they're not knowledgeable in um, in what is involved in transferring the ownership and everything that comes along with that. So we have seven offices uh, in starting in San Diego County, Orange County, uh, in Newport and Huntington Beach and L.A., Los Angeles, uh, Ventura County. Um, so. Uh, that's the the third. I'm I'm describing counties here, but these are the offices. So San Diego, right. Orange County, L.A., San Jose, San Francisco, Sacramento, and then uh, Reno and Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, so some of those are dual offices, and um, we're about ready to launch um, uh, a new office in in a couple of new territories, uh, which uh, we're excited about. 
And, um, and those all have managing partners that run those offices. And, um, and then uh, we work as a team, which is really our competitive edge. We have um, a lot of experience where when, when scenarios come up and no two businesses are ever alike, when we sell a business, we have great resources to tap into with our partners and our associates that have the experience. So just recently, someone came to me, wanted to sell a, a car dealership. Well, I've been in this business for 30 years. I've never sold a car dealership before. So this was a, a Mercedes car dealership. And fortunately, one of my partners has sold a few of them and was very knowledgeable. So I was able to tap into her background, her knowledge, and this put me uh, in a great position to be able to, you know, to uh, be chosen to represent uh, the uh, the client. Right. Well, I would think that similar to our business, you know, there's there's a lot of similarities across different types of businesses, and yet there's a lot of differences. But what what keeps me energized is is learning about all these different businesses, and that's what I find is really enjoyable. And it sounds like it's a it's a very similar sort of context, at least for you, in terms of you get to be exposed to all these different types of businesses. And, and even if they're the same, they're probably run differently by their owners. And, you sure. know, um, so do you ever find yourself, you know, just, I don't want to say in awe, but, you know, you sit back and you go, wow, this is, you know, this is a great learning opportunity. This is a great experience above and beyond just the work and getting it done and whatnot, but just for your own, your own personal satisfaction, you still getting that after, after 30 years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in what we do, we have to have, we have to have a, we have to have knowledge in a lot of different areas. We have to have the financial background to understand how to, you know, work with financial statements and determine what the true cash flow of a business is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's no secret that nobody ever shows what their real net profit is, especially in California, when you're dealing with you know 13.2% uh, state tax. So it's funny, I tell people, out of all the people I've met, I don't care what you stand for, who your God is, what your background is, all business owners have one common denominator, and that is minimize tax. Minimize tax, no question. So we have to unravel that, and right. that is a that is a challenge sometimes. The, the and, old um, adjusted EBITDA, right? That's right. So we have to determine what the adjusted EBITDA is, determine what the cash flow is, and then be able to represent that. And that is a, a whole process that we do up front. And then so you've got to have the background on knowing how to do that. And then you've got to have the background on knowing how to, you know, do the marketing, package the business for sale and uh, go out and identify who the buyer pool would be, have knowledge in the lease and the real estate. So we also represent the real estate uh, related to the business. Hmm. Um, We don't sell real estate outside of our our role as uh, selling the business. So recently I just sold six assisted uh, living facilities. And so there were six properties, six businesses, and I was doing basically everything involved with the sale of the business and those six facilities. We've, I've sold manufacturing you know, businesses where they own the industrial building as well. We're selling that building you know, mm-hmm. as part of the transaction. That you have to have that knowledge of how to, do, how to you know, complete the real estate portion, how to structure leases, how to read contracts, how to negotiate. So it's a little bit of everything 
But when you put it all together, it's what's needed in order to be successful in managing this process that's involved in, in transferring the ownership of a business. Right. You know, one of the things that I, I usually start out with is to ask the question, you know, what's what's unique about your business? What's what What is your unique selling proposition? And it sounds like um, sort of the soup to nuts approach that you have, that you can do all of these different things. You know, you don't have to outsource a lot, you know, piece by piece by piece. Uh-huh. And I was actually, um, you know, I looked at your website and you have some really, really strong testimonial quotes on your website. Um, and I, I really like them. Um, and one of them really stood out to me. Um, and if I can quote it real quickly, um, you manage the entire process efficiently, including assisting the buyer with obtaining SBA finance, dealing with a landlord and all escrow requirements, plus so much more. I'm not sure I could have managed all that and continue to run my business. I'm so thankful and look forward to my retirement. So that like that that's a testimonial to what you just described, which is soup to nuts. How do you do all of these different things and taking away that that worry from people? Do you represent both the buyer or the seller or or are you primarily the seller? Like how how do you which which side of the transaction or does that matter to you? So just touching on what you were saying earlier with that testimonial. So what's interesting is a lot of business owners, when they're when they've completed this process, one of the common comments that you'll hear is, I completely underestimated what was involved. And we hear that all the time. And you may read have read that in some mm-hmm. of the testimonials where people said, I completely underestimated all of the things that were required uh, to sell this business. Uh, I thought it was a lot simpler. It's it's a it's a you know, it's definitely a, a technical and lengthy process. On a national average, it takes about eleven to twelve months to sell a business. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to touch on that. Referring to your other question, you're asking if we represent the seller or the buyer. So so our assignments always start with representing primarily the seller. Okay. Our ideal client and our marketing is always driven towards finding the uh, the owner of cash flowing, profitable, quality businesses, typically with you know revenue two to two to uh, three mm-hmm. million. So that we typically start with representing the seller, and then there are times where we will be asked to do buy side assignments where we're being asked by a group to go out and look for businesses. So we do do that, but primarily we are representing the seller. Okay. Thinking about like your, your typical sort of engagement, do you get, um, do you get many businesses coming to you saying, Hey, I'm thinking about selling. How should I prepare for that? Or do, you know, do you guys do any sort of pre-sales, you know, assessment or cleanup or how does, how does that work with you? Yeah, so we will have um, people who contact us on however they, you know, they were referred to us. Uh, the majority of our business is referrals. Mm-hmm. So business owner will contact us. We go through a process of analyzing their business and then making recommendations. I was just in a meeting yesterday with some people, very good business. They are actually doing very well this year and uh, they struggled a little bit last year. This year, they're doing a lot better. And my recommendation to them was, let's finish out the year. Let's get, you know, your your uh, 2022 numbers on the books and mm-hmm. uh, finalized and um, determine what your cash flow will be. And then let's go to, let's look at marketing it next year. 
So in that process of analyzing it based on where they were, you know, as of now compared to what they're forecasting the rest of the year to be, the difference was almost a half a million dollars in value. Hmm. So obviously it was, it's worth yeah. waiting until January, February, you know, close out 2022, try not to run a bunch of perks and hide things. So obviously that's one of the challenges uh, when people sell their business. It's interesting. A lot of CPAs will not talk to them about, you know, what they should be doing to better position their business for sale and, you know, stop running your Costco card, stop running your, you know, your, your personal things through office supplies and, and, you know, drop as much as you can to the net income line mm-hmm. for two main reasons. And that is a, it's going to increase your cash flow and it's verifiable and, and therefore increase your value. And second, it's going to make your business more bankable, financeable. So when we go to market, the banks don't care what you did as far as hiding things. They they start with the net income to determine whether or not that business can cover the cash flow. So you need to do a little planning ahead of time. And um, you know, typically we like to see two years of planning um, where people will show two years of healthy, strong net income. We understand there's going to be some addbacks. Per, you know, perks, as long as they're, they're obvious, like your personal car, your personal insurance, your personal health, life insurance, your 401k retirement contributions, those are obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the ones that are not obvious that, you know, we can't, uh, we can't really do anything about. So try not to do that for at least two years and pay the income tax because the, the payment of the income tax is going to be much cheaper than the loss of the value that you'll lose by not doing that. Right, right. Do you have any other sort of, I mean, I think those are two really important aspects. And I think that, and I don't know if you run into this, but I, I've run into it pretty often with other business owners who, you know, they they don't really think about the exit plan. They don't think about running their business as though they're going to sell it. And they always think, well, I'll clean it up when I get to that point or where they don't even think about it in those terms, right? Like, so do you, do you run into that often? And are there any other things that, you know, any other gotchas or things that you would recommend people do if they should be doing, you know, in, in terms of planning for an exit? Yeah, we run into that all the time. So what they should be doing is, is thinking about, you know, cleaning up their books and their records, as I said, making the cash flow as strong as possible, looking at the equipment, uh, looking to see if there's any improvements or updates or maintenance that needs to be done. If you just put yourself in the in the shoes of a buyer, a buyer is investing hard-earned money in purchasing that business. So they don't want to they don't want to buy a business and then have to put a bunch of capital into it to bring things up to date so the seller needs to understand that and um the 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 bigger the business as far as revenue the more we will see better books and records and better equipment and maintenance and so forth but the the seller of a business needs to do what they can to make you know, to make that business look as best as possible and represent it as as best as you can. And it's just like selling anything. If you're going to sell a car or, 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 you know, a piece of real estate, obviously the improvements that you make up front to make that property look better 
is going to help in the overall value of that property. It's the same thing with the business. One of the things that I always recommend sellers do is put together a policy and procedure manual. Sounds simple, right? Sounds like everybody should have one. It's amazing (laughs) how many times I will look at a business that's doing 10 million in revenue, let's say, and there's no policy and procedure manual. So the policy and procedure manual to a buyer is the recipe to the cake. And buyers put a lot of value and they will pay a higher multiple when you have things like, you know, a policy and procedure manual, the how-to, job descriptions, equipment lists with the maintenance records, and, you know, all these things that will, all of these items will help the buyer feel more comfortable in what they're buying. So, Another way to look at this is sellers sell the past, right? They sell right. what they what they did historically. Mm-hmm. Buyers buy what happens the, uh, when the transaction closes and what happens the next day, okay? That transferable value, the future, that's what they're paying for. And they've gotta, they've gotta feel confident that the tools and the um, mechanisms are in place to continue this success because that's all they care about because they just went and got a loan and that loan has to be paid by the cash flow. They had to personally guarantee that loan. Mm-hmm. They had to put down a down payment that took them years to save, you know, especially here in California, you know, after tax. Right. So they're not going to let go of that money and pull the trigger to buy that business unless they're confident that the future of this business is going to be successful. Yeah, I think that's a huge point, what you just brought up, which is sellers sell from the past and buyers are buying the future, right? And the future is somewhat based on the past, but but the owner, I mean, the, the new buyers, the buyers, they're the ones assuming the risk. They're the ones who are, are, are taking everything at face value relative. So, so the more prepared you are and the more you have backup, at least that's the story that I'm hearing from you is right. you know, the, the, the higher multiple you get because it lowers the risk, right? That's right. So if you want to tie it to risk, that's how buyers look at it. The higher the risk, the lower the multiple. Mm-hmm. So if you can do a little work up front as the seller and the owner of the business to put these, you know, these basic mechanisms in place, that's going to make the buyer feel a lot more comfortable and that's going to generate a higher multiple because it's lowering the risk. And that's the key. So have you like, have you run into any other speed bumps or, or any like weird gotchas, you know, in the, in the, in the 12th hour of doing a transaction, have you ever run into, Oh crap. Didn't see that coming all the time, <laughs> all the time. Okay. Yeah. I mean that it could be, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that come up towards the end of a transaction at the 11th hour. Mm-hmm. And um, so part of part of our process is we have to obtain releases from several government agencies and things come up there all the time. Um, oh, I didn't know I had that loan and that lien on my business. <laughs> um, so, oh, I didn't know that I forgot to pay my taxes or my you know, sales tax or things like that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's always things that come up at the, at the last minute. And um, so it's, it's having the experience in this industry to, to be proactive and, and, and make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to, you know, you've got to know what, 
these possible issues are and make sure you're looking at them up front. And, um, and that's what I get paid for. I get paid to manage this process and to make sure that it's, you know, it's successful in closing and, um, and to eliminate these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think that over the years, you've probably become really, I don't know, in, in what's the right word I'm looking for? You know, almost like getting a sixth sense of you could probably read a financial statement or read certain, you know, backup documentation that might lead you to, oh, this might mean this thing, which is sort of, you wouldn't know it except for your experience, right? Like, sure. we need to head off this issue, but I see it, you know, that sort of bleeds through from a financial statement sure. or something like that. Absolutely. There's all kinds of different things that can come up. Uh, landlords are one, one common problem and uh, you have to know how to manage landlords. So landlords can be a problem at, you know, at the end of a transaction because that lease, you know, can have, can have some last minute issues, terms and conditions that can be a problem. So you got to know how to address that up front and create, you know, the expectations. So. Right, right. So on a on a slightly different note, but still talking about selling, I've come to hear or I've come to learn that that there could be two different types of sales, right? There could be an asset sale and then there could be a stock purchase. What are you, what are your thoughts on either? Are you seeing more of one than the other or do they apply to different industries differently or is that anything too for for a business owner to prepare for? So the the answer to that depends. Okay. Um, depends. My favorite so, answer. Well, let me start off by saying the majority of transactions happen as an asset sale, and the main reason for that is two things. Number one, when a buyer buys a business as an asset sale, they get to redepreciate the the assets that are being purchased. So that creates a nice write-off going forward. Number two, it eliminates the liability under the seller's ownership. Mm-hmm. So a seller is typically a corporation. And when the buyer is buying the business as an asset sale, they create their own corporation. All of the employees get transferred over, all the assets get transferred over, and they're starting from a clean slate. On a stock sale, the buyer is stepping into the owner or the shareholder's shoes, they basically take over everything as is. So if there's limited depreciation, whatever it is, they just take it over as is. They also risk taking on some successor's liability or the liability that the seller may have. Of course, we put together uh, warranties and reps and mechanisms in place to protect the buyer, but that risk is always still there. And so we have a way that we negotiate those type of deals to help everybody feel comfortable and come up with a fair way for both sides so that we can move forward. As I said earlier, if a buyer isn't comfortable with the risk, this being an example here, then they're not going to move forward. So I've got to come up with a way to negotiate that transaction, given the situation, come up with a fair way for both parties. But the only time we really do stock sales is when there are assets in the business that cannot be transferred or there are contracts. So right now I'm, I'm negotiating a deal on a business that has 
uh, about two dozen contracts with various municipalities, cities, mm -hmm. water districts, power companies, and so forth. And those contracts have language in the assignment paragraph that they cannot be assigned to, a, to another entity. Hmm. Okay. So because of that, the buyer has to buy the business as a stock sale and leave everything in the name of the corporation. Right. So that, that's an example of why we would have to do a stock sale. The other reason, the other thing is contractors, uh, construction related businesses have contractors licenses. Some of the buyers want that number, mm -hmm. especially if it's 30 years old, they want that number. So they'll do a, they'll do a stock sale. And so there's gotta be a, a compelling reason why the business needs to be sold as a stock sale to, to make it a stock sale. Okay. Now, is there is there an, a, a tax advantage to the seller for either way of doing that, or are they both considered capital gains taxes taxable? So, so there is. Um, I don't want to get too much into into the tax issue here because I'm I'm not a CPA and mm -hmm. I have to be careful what I say. I know <laughs> enough to be dangerous. If the seller is a C corp, they almost always want to sell the stock. Okay, because that would be an advantage to the seller tax wise, mm -hmm. not so much for the buyer. So it's really the business and what we're selling that drives whether or not it would be an asset or stock sale. It's really not the tax benefit. I mean, although sellers will tell you, I would prefer to do this at the end of the day, the buyer is going to determine what that structure will be if it's, you know, whether or not it's an asset or stock sale. Mm -hmm. And as I said, you know, the majority of transactions, regardless of the size, tend to be asset sales. Right. Okay. Um, so I know we're coming up on our time here. I just want to wrap up with a, a couple more questions, but I'm wondering how, how did you guys, I don't necessarily need to know, you know, how you did, although that's the way I, I was going to phrase the question in terms of how did you do when, when the pandemic hit in, in early 2020? And just curious what you saw in, in the landscape, the business landscape. Did, did things kind of hold off? Did things heat up? And, you know, and dovetailing that, I'm curious now what you're seeing in terms of, you know, all this talk about a recession and certainly inflation over the last year, year and a half. Just curious about your your perspective, just in general, and and what you may have noticed. Sure. So in 2020, first quarter, things were very active. I had five transactions, which I will tell you is very rare, that closed in the first two months of 2020. And these were businesses that I was working on that spilled over. Mm -hmm. But I mean, to have five transactions close in a matter of 60 days is pretty rare. And then and then March of 2020 came and then the world, you know, started uh, having problems. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, to say the so, least. So COVID was interesting. The first six months of 2020 was active. The second half, uh, obviously people, you know, started being cautious and careful. And but there was still activity. 21 was an active year. And really the, the main driver for 2020 and 21 being being you know solid years was the cost of money. Mm -hmm. And it was so, so low that you saw a lot of a lot of opportunities. Yeah, like people saw opportunities. People saw opportunities, money was cheap. A lot of people didn't really understand what COVID was going to do to a business. A lot of businesses had what we call the COVID bump. 
and did very well. It wasn't until this year, 2022, when we started seeing a lot more issues with the supply chain, with cost of money going up, especially after you know May when you know it spiked uh, significantly. Today, to get an SBA loan, it's a margin. It's it's prime plus a margin. It's a it's nine nine and a half percent right now, depending on what bank you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a variable, so it will come down. But right now, that's where it's at. Um, so. So as the supply chain issues got got worse, that slowed things down. And then really it was the labor issue was really the main problem. A lot of businesses struggled to find employees. So we started seeing things softening uh, earlier this year because of those three items, the supply chain, cost of money, and and the continuing issues with with, uh, labor. Mm, Interesting. And, And right now, you know, we continue to do transactions. One of the benefits of selling businesses is a lot of them are owned free and clear. And I learned early on that you have to understand how to sell a business with seller finance, mm-hmm. where the seller is the bank. So we've had times back, if you remember the Great Recession, where um, banks literally stopped lending. Mm-hmm. And so the seller had to be the bank. And that's how we got deals done. So, you know, it's just learning, you know, how to adapt and pivot, you know, based on what's going on in the environment. And do you think there's anything that, you know, business owners or leaders should be thinking about now in in terms of going into the next year or two, if, if whether or not they're thinking of a short-term exit or a long-term exit? Well, they should always be doing whatever they can to increase revenues and decrease expenses and improve their cash flow. That is <laughs> in, in every yes. scenario. But that's not easy right now. That's not easy right now. Labor costs is going up. People are, ha- are having to pay people bonuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got clients that are hiring people and they're going to give them a $5,000 bonus if they stay for six months. And uh, I mean, you just used to never hear stuff like that. Right. But I think a lot of that's going to start changing because now you're starting to see people, um, you're starting to see revenues kind of settle down. Um, We may or may not be in a recession, depends on who you talk to. Um, But I think what's going to start happening, if you you listen to a lot of the experts, you'll hear that they're predicting that uh, the job market is going to soften and therefore you're going to see unemployment go up. And when that happens, labor costs will come down. But, you know, that's a, that's something that you'll benefit from down the road. But, yeah, right now it's just, you know, maintaining uh, revenue, main, you know, continue doing your marketing and trim wherever you can trim on your expenses. Okay, good stuff. You know, as we wrap up here, uh, what, what's what's a little something about you personally that somebody wouldn't know looking at you? you know, brush with greatness, something you've done in the past or something you want to do in the future? What's, you know, a bucket list item? Tell us, you know, peel, peel back what, what, who Matt is and tell us a little something. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm married, yeah. have two daughters. One of the things I enjoy doing is fly fishing. So I'm really big into fly fishing. Really? Uh, yeah. I've been, uh, okay. been to Alaska several times. Montana. I mean, a lot. I've been fly fishing for about 25 years. So I've been all over Montana, Colorado, Idaho, Alaska. So it's something that uh, I really enjoy doing. And um, so we have a group that we go out with, which is fun. 
and uh, love traveling. <clears throat> My wife and I enjoy traveling when we have uh, the time to do so. We just took a trip here, uh, wife's birthday. She has never been to Switzerland and I, I'm Italian. So I, you know, when I go to Italy, I'll usually uh, take a, a quick trip up into Lugano or the Southern mm -hmm. part of Switzerland. So she had never been there. And so we just spent two weeks in Switzerland and had a great time. So we enjoy uh, traveling a lot. And, um, you know, when we can, I'm also big into mountain biking and uh, we have some of the best trails around here in the Santa Monica mountains. Uh, so we do a lot of uh, mountain biking here um, on the weekends. Wow. That's, that's two things I did not know about you. We're, we're going to have to, I'm not, I'm not a fly fisherman. Um, I had a, a friend who's, who's a really, really into fishing. And uh, I ended up uh, turning one of his reels into a bird's nest. So that's, that's how good I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know the term. <laughs> I know that he was like, for the longest time, don't touch that. Don't touch that. <laughs> I did. And uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. <laughs> uh, but mountain biking, I, I can do. So maybe we'll have to go out. That That's great. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun stuff. Stuff we learned about you that we didn't, I didn't already know. This is awesome. I was going to ask any parting advice for business owners out there, but I think You've given us a lot of nuggets. And, and the last thing that you said was, you know, should be business 101, right? Maximize your revenue, minimize your costs. <laughs> yeah. And, and keep your, uh, your profits healthy because at the end of the day, that's what a buyer is buying. Buyers are not looking to, you know, take on a seller's problems, right? right. So we have a lot of sellers who last or two years ago, I sold the business. The seller was in his 90s. <laughs> and, uh, his business started going down a little bit, but fortunately he had a business that was in demand. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of equipment that was very difficult to find. He had, you know, uh, the customers and the contracts, but um, you know, I, I had told him that at some point your business isn't going to be appealing because your downward, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, trajectory going down with your sales and your profits is going to be, a major problem and a red flag for buyers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important that sellers understand that, yes, they own a business, but in order to, to sell it to someone, you have to understand the, the characteristics of a buyer and what it is that they're looking for when they buy that business. As I said earlier, they have money that they're, you know, that they've saved and they're not going to invest that. They look at a business as an investment, that, as a right, way to right. fund a seller's retirement. <laughs> you right. know, they don't care about the seller's retirement, what their goals are to, you know, you know, buy a house in Montana or something. You know, right. They want to. They a buyer needs to know that if I'm going to sign a personal guarantee and put my, you know, PG on on the line and and get a loan and and give up this down payment, I've got to see a path forward with this business, and that's what I tell sellers you should be thinking about when you're looking to sell your business. Would you buy this business right. if you were you know, sitting on the sidelines looking in? And, and I've had some great sellers honestly tell me, no, I wouldn't. Unfortunately, their only alternative tends to be liquidating. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes and that's, that's, that's yeah, what they have to do. On the dollar for, right. Yeah. I, but I think most sellers, most sellers understand that, you know, that, the cash flow is the key, and fortunately for us, most sellers, the large percentage of them, are are doing the right thing and contacting us, you know, at the right time. Right, right. I think also a lot of sellers are are so emotionally attached to their business that you know that emotion clouds 
really, you know, a true objective viewpoint, right? And people forget, like you said, it's an investment. You know, if somebody's going to spend two, three, four, whatever number of millions of dollars, yep. well, you know, not, not this year, but in previous years, they could put it in the stock market. And right, yep. it's like, show me that this is an investment, not just, you know, something that you love. That's right. That's right. So finally, um, if, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I know that we'll have your, you know, your website and some other stuff in the show notes, but any, any particular way of getting in touch with you or? Yeah, they can visit our corporate website. Our corporate website is mabusinessadvisors.com. And then I have a personal website, which is certifiedbizbroker.com. You can reach me at uh, any one of those. And uh, once you go on the website, you'll see my contact information there. We offer a, uh, an initial consultation to talk to business owners. Um, and if we move forward, we'll, uh, we'll do a, uh, a mini valuation. It's called the calculation of value report. And then if everything looks good with that, then we'll move forward with an engagement agreement and then begin the process of representing them. So uh, that's something that you know we can talk about further um, when someone contacts me. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity here to talk with you today. Yeah, thanks so much. Matt Coletta, M&A Business Advisors. Really appreciate your time here. There were some really, really great nuggets. And, and definitely, you know, if you're if you're running a business, you should be thinking about your exit, even if it's 20 years down the line or whatever it is. That's right. Um, so Matt, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And as always, you know, you, you are the man when it comes to M&A. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having me. Take care. And that was Matt Coletta, co-founder and managing partner of M&A Business Advisors. I hope you found the conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Matt. And there were certainly a lot of nuggets there. I hope you can apply some of them right away to your business. Thanks again, Matt, for your time and sharing all your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Matt and M&A Business Advisors has to offer, or want to just simply connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at fpainc. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.